Welcome to the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato. The first half of the Leadership Hour is, in fact, called Lessons in Leadership. What a great name for a book, Mary Gamba. What an, oh, my goodness. I've read that book from cover to cover. It's a great book. That is the name of the book. This is the name of the show. And the whole idea isn't just Lessons in Leadership for me, but way more importantly, Lessons in Leadership from some pretty terrific leaders from all stripes, all different professional backgrounds. And we're going to introduce our colleague and good friend, Mark Stouter, who is the Chief Operating Officer, Hackensack Meridian Health. Good to talk to you, Mark. Good morning. Hey, Steve. Hey, Mary. Thank you for inviting me. Our pleasure. Hey, Mark. Listen, by way of background, you have had more than a couple of positions, leadership positions in the healthcare world. Let folks know who may not know of you of some of those leadership positions. Sure. Thanks, Steve. Well, uh, I've enjoyed my early role here at Hackensack Meridian as the COO for the last uh, eight months. Before that, for the last 12 years, I was the uh, president and COO of Innova Health System in Northern Virginia, about a $3.5 billion health system, uh, hospitals, physicians, ambulatory services, with about 17,000 employees. And then before that, I was with the Sisters of Mercy and served in their ministry and a number of their places across the United States and ran hospitals, ran regions, ran large medical groups, reinvented a lot of regions as far as delivering care. So, Mark, I'm going to jump into an interesting question that, frankly, you're the only person that we've had over the two years we've been doing this leadership podcast and radio show, by the way, listening to us on AM 970 every Sunday at 2 o'clock. And it's the question really about the chief operating officer, the COO, versus the CEO. And here's my question. I've coached, and, and I've disclosed this before, I'll disclose it again. I do a lot of coaching at Hackensack Meridian Health of physicians and other executives. And frankly, since Mark's come on board, his insight and advice about the process of coaching mentoring has been very helpful. But Mark, here's my question. If you were to describe to someone, they say, oh, you're the head person who runs Hackensack Meridian Health. Well, Bob Garrett is the chief executive officer. You're the chief operating officer. What's the difference from a leadership perspective in the two roles? You know, Steve, I think that's a great question. I think great COOs in their roles have to be able to be key participants, key leaders, key team members with the CEO and the other senior leaders in crafting the vision. So I think involvement and participating in crafting the vision, crafting the strategies is really, really important because then you build understanding, you build cultural alignment, you build visionary alignment. And then, of course, the COO's principal role then is to translate those visions and those strategies into day-to-day -day execution within the organization. But again, I think the optimal COO can be a very effective team member and participant with the CEO on crafting the strategy, crafting the vision, and then leading the execution of that across the organization. Let's stay on this. Mark Stouter from Hackensack Meridian Health, the chief operating officer. Mark, I'm not going to disclose any names because that's not what we do. But I was coaching our firm, Stand and Deliver, was doing some coaching on a major banking organization on the East Coast, and I was coaching a COO. He had been the COO for Mary, let's say, more than a couple of decades. Absolutely. Convinced that he should be, quote, the CEO. And my job was to interview and coach these folks and make a recommendation to the board. 
And one of the reasons I could not recommend this person, I didn't have the decision, the board obviously made the decision, but I said the reason I couldn't recommend this COO to be the CEO was because in spite of everything Mark Stoudard just said, this guy was all about executing day to day, bottom line, cutting cost, being more efficient. All of those things are important. And I asked him what his vision was. And Mark, I swear to you and I swear to our audience on AM 970 and everyone listening on our, our podcast, he said, Steve, my job is to not strategize. My job is to execute. That's the CEO's job with the board. I don't do that. And I listened to him and I shared that with the board and he did not get the job as the CEO. But my point is, that's just not true. Chief operating officers are very much involved in strategy, correct? That's absolutely correct. And it, it kind of goes back to what's your DNA? Leaders at every level can have a DNA that drives strategy. They're innovative, they're creative, they're thinking outside of their box, they're thinking about the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So frankly, being a leader with vision is not defined as the CEO's role. The CEO must do that, it's very, very important. But frankly, every leader in the organization, if you're a great leader, can play on the strategic side of the ball and on the day-to-day -day operational side of the ball. They're not mutually exclusive, right, Mark? Absolutely not. By the way, Mark Stouter from Hackensack Meridian Health. This is the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato with my co-host Mary Gamba and our colleague Brian Brodeur in the studio here at East Main Media. So, Mark, I, I had a meeting with you, and I do not disclose the confidential discussions that I have with clients, but Mark, you did say something to me that's not confidential. We were talking about our Physician Leadership Academy at Hackensack Meridian Health, and Mark was giving very specific advice about how we could tweak the curriculum and who do we need to include in it, and you got very involved in professional development. And here's my question. What is the connection in your mind between great leadership and developing great leaders, and why is that so fascinating to you? Because you were deep into that discussion. Yes, yeah, Steve, another great question. You know, I think as a great leader, we've got to be thinking about the next generation. And we also have to be thinking about developing our teams. You know, what are the opportunities to further develop each of our team members? Hmm. So it's important that we understand everyone's DNA. We understand what comes naturally to them what they have to work harder at, what their assessment is around strengths and weaknesses. And I think it's important that we have a strategic plan, frankly, for each of our team members. And then as you look beyond that, you know, within Hackensack Meridian, we've got 2,200 leaders that help us run our 17 hospitals, 14 nursing homes, and our $6.3 billion enterprise. So it's always critical to be looking at leadership development needs as far as physicians coming up the medical staff track, coming into the medical executive committee roles, coming into officer roles as they progress in the organized medical staff. It's critical we're looking at our chair leaders, right. our associate chair leaders, and really understanding how can we help them be the best they can be. Where are their developmental opportunities? And creating a plan for each one of those, which is unique, it is personalized, and it really is focused on bringing out the very best in that individual. 
By the way, you can tell we're taping live because there's a plane somewhere or somewhere along. <laughs> Hopefully it's not Hopefully. in our building. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, Mark Stoddard, let me ask you this. I asked Bob Garrett, the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health, this question I'm going to ask you as well. So there was Hackensack on the health side and Meridian, two very large organizations that come together a few years ago, right, Mark? Uh, yes, that's correct. About three years ago. And you've seen and experienced and been part of several mergers, collaborations, partnerships. What are some of the most unique and significant challenges leaders face when trying to bring two distinct organizations together with two very distinct cultures? Loaded question, I know. You know, Stephen, Mary, I, I would say that the U.S. industries over the last several decades, most industries have been faced with significant consolidation, significant merging and acquisitions. And I would say it's always a challenge when you have a legacy organization with deep traditions, deep roots, and a culture that they've created over the years. And I think when you bring a new organization together, I think it's really, really important to kind of pause to really set the new mission, vision, and values, create the new template for the new culture going forward, create a bold vision that takes the strengths of each of the legacy organizations and their missions and create a new vision and a different mission and vision and challenge people with a bold future. How hard is that, Mark? It's very hard, but I would tell you, I think Hackensack Meridian has done a great job. I would say that as I've been involved in several mergers personally in my career, I would say that they're one of the best I've seen. And I think it takes the right leader. I think Bob Garrett is the right leader. I think setting that bold vision about the future, something that neither of the legacy health systems and or industries have been previously, and creating that vision, aligning the various stakeholders across the enterprise, aligning the team members and the management team, and creating that change management plan to really help you achieve that future vision. So I would say it's doable. I would say many companies, for whatever reasons, don't get there. I truly believe Hackensack Meridian is on the right path and moving at a very accelerated pace. Last question for Mark Stouter, Chief Operating Officer for Hackensack Meridian Health. Hey, Mark, I know we're going from really big picture mergers, consolidation, culture, bringing people together. To this question, what are the keys to running a really good meeting and why are so many meetings so awful? Steve, I think that's another good question. I would say that every good meeting starts with a formal agenda with prescribed leaders who come prepared, who have sent out material a few days before the meeting. So everyone comes prepared with the information, is ready to weigh in into the dialogue and discussion and move to a decision as quickly as possible. I think you've got to manage the time very, very closely. And frankly, you have to make sure that you've got the right agenda. Are those the critical things that that team should be talking about? No one likes to come to a meeting and feel like they're not functioning at the top of their role. Yeah, you wasted my time. That's exactly right. 
So understanding what group is coming together, what are the most critical issues they should be debating and dialoguing about and reaching a decision around, and then to have it organized in a very time-sensitive, quick momentum model, but at the same time giving everyone the chance to weigh in and have their comments heard to make sure that when they leave that meeting, We've achieved understanding, we've achieved the buy-in and ownership of that topic going forward. Well said. That's Mark Stouter, who is the Chief Operating Officer, Hackensack, Meridian Health. I said before, I'll say it again, it's been our pleasure to work to coach and mentor in the Leadership Academy, the Physician Leadership Academy at Hackensack Meridian Health, and also with some individual leaders within the organization. And Mark continues to advise us, mentor us, and give us the benefit of his wisdom. Hey, Mark, thank you for joining us on Lessons in Leadership on the Leadership Hour. Have a great rest of the day, my friend. Thank you very much, Stephen Mary. Have a great day. Well done. Hey, why don't we take a quick break from the Leadership Hour, and uh, we'll be right back, and Mary and I will offer our thoughts on leadership after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, the first half of the Leadership Hour. Make sure you stay tuned right after this for the second half hour of the Leadership Hour, which will be State of Affairs, a program we do talking with leaders all across the state of New Jersey about the critical issues that matter in your lives. But right now, Mary, you and I were doing some research this week on great leadership quotes that we want to think about and some challenge. But why don't you let folks know not only how to get us on the podcast, but also how the heck this series happens and who's underwriting and sponsoring it. Absolutely. It's a lot of great stuff. So first of all, if you're listening on AM 970 and you want to hear our other podcasts, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast as well as on Google Play. And of course, if you like what you hear, give us a good rating. On stand-deliver.com, our website, we have a ton of great free information on leadership communication. Could you give that website again, please? Sure. Stand-deliver.com. So I don't recommend looking it up while you're driving, but it's pretty easy to remember. Yeah. And I would also like to thank New Jersey Resources, who has just made this Leadership Hour possible. Our major sponsor. Absolutely. And then some of our other clients that I would just like to thank just for being so supportive over the years. We have, of course, Gibbons. We'll be talking to Patrick Dunnigan a little bit Gibbons later today. Gibbons Law Firm. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've got the New Jersey Sharing Network. They're doing a lot of great things next year. Organ and tissue donation. Absolutely. So important. I just recommend that everybody go out and make sure to register as an organ and tissue donor if you haven't done so already. MD Advantage. We've got Hackensack Meridian Health, which, of course, we just spoke to Mark Stouter from Hackensack Meridian Health. And the the list goes on and on. But those are just some of our uh, great friends that we would like to thank. Absolutely. And we'll also, on other shows, we will thank some of our other friends, including those at Valley Bank. Of course. I'm just realizing what contracts we just signed. <laughs> <laughs> um, operating engineers, operating engineers, local eight twenty-five. Greg, Greg Lollavy. Hey, the reason why Greg is so interesting to us, and we'll make sure we get him this tape. Greg was in a guest on the Leadership Hour, but the other thing about Greg is, Greg, this is local eight twenty-five operating engineers. We're doing a leadership academy with them right now, in which we're taking folks who, I mean. We joke all the time about this, that I can't fix anything, do anything in the house. and I'm still waiting for my opportunity to go and operate the cranes and the diggers and stuff like that. So. Well, these folks with the operating engineers are not just great in terms of getting things done and building things. 
There are also great leaders and managers who motivate and move and coach and mentor others. And so the thing about Greg Lollivy that's fascinating is that, you know what, let's do this. Greg and I talk about leadership books all the time, and he introduced us to a fascinating book. Love it. I'm I actually just started, pulling it out. Mm-hmm. I just started reading it, actually. Just Thank pulling you, it out Greg. right now. This book is called Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Extreme Ownership, New York Times, number one bestseller. Hey, so Greg Lalavi sends me this book. He tells me it's had an impact on him. He assigns everyone at Local 845 in a leadership position to read it. He assigns me to read it, and we're actually working on it using this book as a template in addition to my book, Lessons in Leadership, to talk about it. Now, the theme of this book, which I want to do, is actually talk about some great leadership books that we want to recommend to people. And by the way, can we create on our website, Mary, a leadership library of what we believe are the best books? So go on our website in the next two weeks. You will see, we'll have a, I don't know, some real cool graphic yeah, that says. Yeah, by the says, time this airs, it'll be up there. Yeah, it'll be so. a real cool graphic that says, hey, Steve and Mary's best leadership books. But they're not just ours. They come from Brian as well, Brian Brodeur and, and Greg Lalavi and others. But this book, Extreme Ownership, the reason I love it is because the basic premise from these Navy SEALs, and they tell their story from being in Iraq. I mean, the toughest situations, right? Afghanistan, I mean, real tough stuff. Basic premise? Extreme ownership, what are you owning? You own the outcome. Mm -hmm. No excuses, no blame, no finger pointing, no long explanations. Either you got the job done or you didn't. And what they have done, these two guys, the authors of this book, they've taken those lessons from being a U.S. Navy SEAL into corporate America, into educational institutions, into nonprofits. Their argument has nothing to do with war and has everything to do with owning it. Why is it so hard? We've had this conversation a hundred times. Why is it so hard for so many to own their stuff? Because once you own it, the people that are unable to do so believe that if they own it, then they're admitting they made a mistake. And that's really, really, really hard for people to do. Is it? It Even is. Even when it's obvious? I think it's so very hard. So let me give you an example. I know our AM 970 audience is going to be fascinated by this. We are not a political show. We are taping the show in, in the back end of a hurricane. Are right? you going to go with the black Sharpie marker? So, and they, they listen, <laughs> listen. So all I'm saying is this. I respect President Trump. He's our president. He's my president. But I got to tell you, if you make a mistake and you say, as a leader, not just the leader of the free world, and you say, oh, this hurricane, you know, there's a good chance or there's a chance I heard that it could hit Alabama. And so the Alabama State Police and they all of a sudden are getting calls like, oh, this could hit Alabama. No, 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 that's not mm-hmm. true. It's, it's coming up the coast and, and your family, you have family down in the Carolinas, oh, yeah. right? Carolina. Well, yeah, it could be there, you know, but it's definitely Bahamas coming up. We don't think it's Alabama. Where'd that come from? The president said, I don't know. I heard it, but it's going to get Alabama. The president holds a press conference, pulls out a map of the East Coast where the hurricane allegedly going to hit. There's a Sharpie. That somebody, I don't know who. <laughs> I think it was him. I, I like to see him doing that, but go ahead. Well, that part I don't get as funny. But all of a sudden with a Sharpie, they included Alabama. And they said, Mr. President, that's a black Sharpie. That's not from the National Weather Service, the hurricane experts. How did Alabama get in there? He goes, I don't know anything about that. And I, 
it has to be because he wanted to prove that he was right, mm-hmm. that it could hit Alabama. But that's not the case. Yeah. It was, made it was the information that somebody okay. gave so him. So forget about someone's politics, conservative, liberal, democratic, you know, socialist on the democratic, whatever. That ain't good leadership. It's not. It goes across the board. It and you can... don't dislike the president? No, not at all. Make and... the case why that's not good leadership because we're talking about ownership. Why are we talking about this? Because extreme ownership is about owning your stuff, including a black Sharpie that someone made up to make you look like you were right when, in fact, you just made a mistake. It's really easy to own things when it's a success. And that's the time when people can stand up and say, I made that happen. I got yeah, that big deal. Yeah, but you're supposed to share the credit. Of course. Well, that's, again, what a great leader does. One of the quotes that we had found is simply that, that the greatest leaders, and I'm not even sure if it's on this list because I've read so many it is, yesterday. It is. But yeah. Keep talking. I'll that, find it. Thank you. That the great leaders, when something goes right, they give credit to others rather than taking it themselves. And the same thing when something goes wrong, you need to take the credit for what went wrong. And when I say credit, just the ownership of what went wrong. And that sets and sends a message to others that you are courageous, that you're brave, that you owned it. But then once you own it, we've said this a million times, say what you're going to do to make it right. And it's a huge part of leadership. So that Sharpie only made it worse? It's embarrassing. And again, I, I laughed and made a joke of the Sharpie, but it is embarrassing. You're not kidding anybody. What about anybody. if you're in Alabama and you actually think that it could be coming? Oh, absolutely. Because it's, it's the president. He's the most important leader Ex- in the country. He must have information that yes. they don't have. So once it came from him, it's, you know, it's, it must be true. And instead of him just saying, oh, you want to know what I misspoke? And even that would not be great because you're just then saying, oh. No, but I'm okay with that. Like I heard it and I shouldn't have said it. Exactly. I don't think that's a terrible big deal. It's not horrible. And it would be over and done with and move on. Whereas now you're giving the media, which he always blames the media, more ammunition to use against you. The fact that someone on your team or you used a Sharpie to say, this is why I thought Alabama was going to be impacted by this hurricane. So it's embarrassing. So by the way. We uh, deliver where we promise. Uh, It was, in fact, Andrew Carnegie. This is about sharing credit. You ready? Mm -hmm. Quote, no man, it should say, or no woman, will make a great leader who wants to do it all himself or to get all the credit for doing it. Andrew Carnegie, share the credit. Yep. Oh, we will be talking about extreme ownership as well as a new book. Can Can I plug this book? I'm fascinated by this one. Absolutely. So this will be in our lessons in leadership, leadership hour. Best book section. I'm just making stuff up. Brian, come on. Let's come up with a cool graphic, okay? Love it. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. This is uh, Lessons in Leadership in the studio with Brian Bordeaux. We're coming to you from the great East Main Media Studios. This woman, Doris Kearns Goodwin, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner. She actually had a little trouble a few years back. Some people questioned, hey, where'd you get that quote? Is that really accurate? And it's a little awkward and embarrassing. But that doesn't take away from the fact that she's written some great stuff. And this book is simply called Leadership in Turbulent Times. It's a series of profiles of presidents who had very difficult situations, including Abraham Lincoln. He's on the cover. The Civil War, slavery. Franklin Delano Roosevelt coming out of the Depression, dealing with World War II. Lyndon Johnson, the assassination of John F. Kennedy on November 22, 1963, Dallas, Texas. Within moments, Lyndon Johnson becomes president. It's not his cabinet. They're not his people. He did not get along with the Kennedys. Robert Kennedy, his archenemy, was in fact the attorney general, the president's brother. 
In this book, it talks about how Lyndon Johnson decided the one thing he could do, a Southerner from Texas, a senator from Texas, the one thing he could do to make a difference is to pass the civil rights bill that John F. Kennedy had started and was stalled in Congress. That was his crucible. That was a leadership crucible, his turbulent time, his crisis. And in fact, that's why we have the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And also Teddy Roosevelt and so many others. I'm fascinated by, the, by this book. It's called Leadership in Turbulent Times, Doris Kearns, Good one, Mary. A couple other books that... Um... Yeah, well, I was just going to do a quick follow-up to that because I did my research because I had of a feeling you were going to talk about that did. book. And the one thing that I thought was really cool, I love, and I guess it's because I'm a little bit younger, not much than you, but I like my information. That that's was, a, uh, could you edit that out? That's Brian? a really thick book for a visual. That's a very thick book. So I like my little sound bites. And Doris had also done a really great video series online. And she talked about the six traits of presidential leadership. What might they be? I would love to list them. I'm glad you asked. So we've got empathy. We've talked about that all the time, about being empathetic. I have a hard time with that leadership trait. You know that it's I have a hard time. You're one of the most empathetic and caring people I know. It's just that when people complain a little bit or they're not feeling well, I'm just going to say you don't have a lot of empathy. Exactly. Exactly. Just toughen up and get to work. And yeah, you've said that your, to me before, yeah, but go Take ahead. your throat lozenge. And <laughs> <laughs> Guys got two broken legs. The arm came off. Take your lozenge. I, I have been the mom that sent my kid to school on Tylenol, and then at about 2 o'clock they call and say the fever spiked to like 103. But Well done, Mary. You know, I, I, I put the Tylenol in their bag. They were supposed to take another one at noon. It Mary wasn't my has fault. a parenting podcast at 2.30 today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the next one is resilience, which goes hand in hand with empathy. You need to be resilient. If something goes wrong, if something, you need to be able to bounce back. And oh, my God, something bad happened. I know. I've got to fold and get under the covers and cry. No. No. Again, don't have empathy for that. Communication. You cannot be a great leader without communication. We over You can't keep that idea to yourself. Absolutely not. And, and whether it's an idea, whether it's information, openness, you need to be open, whether it's open mind or just in other ways. And then impulse control. We also have Could that. we go back? Brian, what, why did you make a face when... Well, the, this is just... Brian Brodeur, the head of East Main Media. He heard Mary talk about one of the traits that Doris Kearns Goodwin in her book Leadership says that great leaders need, and it's called well, presidential, impu- right? Presidential. It, are you, hold on. Yeah. What are you laughing at when we said impulse control? Does she mention anything about Twitter? Well, the funny thing is, <laughs> there, there's one little line here, and it's great. Sometimes knowing what not to say is as important as what a president says. Mr. Brodeur? Yes. I have a quote. Want me to respond with a quote? No, no. No, no. I want you to respond to the quote. Impulse control. Well, I think that follow-up is perfect where it's sometimes what you don't say can be as powerful or more powerful than what you do say. Okay, so I feel this thing. I got to say this thing. I'm peeved. Somebody screwed me. I've got to say it now. How about this? You write the email and you don't send it. How about that technique? Right. Really? I've never done that. 24-hour oh. <laughs> rule. What? I'm going to interrupt. And Brian is exactly right. The 24-hour oh, rule. You've been talking rule, to me about this for 10 years. Which actually... This is Mary Gamma, the leadership guru, Steve Adubato, Brian Bardot, the leadership hour. She's been talking about this 24-hour thing for 10 years. I have a confession to make. I have a confession to make. So this past weekend, we were up in Lake Placid. It was Labor Day weekend. Obviously, we're taping, so this will air later. We were at a restaurant, a restaurant that we've been to many, many times. Well, this one time at this said restaurant... We waited an hour to be seated. Not a problem. Sit down. 
not a problem. Place our drink order, appetizer, dinner, get our drinks right away. I'm like, this is going to be a great night. An hour goes by and our appetizer is still not there. Impulse control. Speaking about ownership, the waitress doesn't own it. I asked the manager. The manager doesn't own it. Define doesn't own it. uh, We're going to have to check with the kitchen and see what's going on. (laughs) Well, it's an open-air kitchen. I can see what's going on. It was chaotic. No one was taking it. The woman that was making the pizzas was saying, oh, well, it's the hostess' fault for sitting too many people at once. Extreme ownership says no excuses. Right, exactly. They were full of excuses. Full of excuses. So I did not follow the 24-hour rule. I immediately jumped on Yelp. What is the 24-hour rule? You wait before you either post something. If you're angry, you might not be as mad 24 hours later. Is this good marriage advice as well? It is. It's great in sports. I learned it in sports because I was that crazy sport parent that used to freak out on the coaches and why didn't my kid get more time? Why didn't this? They're wronged. If you wait 24 hours, you really don't care anymore. So it works in business, but I'll tell you, after 24 hours, I did up the review by one star because on, it really wasn't Yelp? fair. So you're at the restaurant at and the you restaurant, yelped up? I yelped, and not only did I yelp, there were three other posts around the same time, and I looked around. I'm like, Brian, is Brian here? Because, like, there was another, I'm just not using our Brian, a fake name. Brian. And never been to Lake Placid. Everyone, and you need to go, everyone else was posting in the moment of wow. their rage. And they're refusing to say, we screwed up. We're going to give you a free meal or something? Nothing. Not even a thing. I wouldn't even, she put the bill down. I didn't even look at it. I said, Bill, I wanted to leave because I did. I said, we were just going to leave. And they made me stay. I said, I'm not paying. What was your your husband, Bill? Bill paid. Yeah. But I wouldn't have Let paid. me just ask you this. Bill is a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Was he peeved? He was more embarrassed at how I was handling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was hangry. That was the day we're on. Hangry. I played 18 holes of golf that day, Steve. So you that did was not. No, I drove the golf cart. But And, and I looked for <laughs> balls in the weeds that like people shanked. And I was like having a lot of fun doing that. But. Well, you got to remind me. By the way, let's do a whole thing on golf and leadership. There's a pro at this place that I play. His name is Jason. And another guy by the name of Brian Gaffney. Shout out to Brian Gaffney at Essex Fells Country Club. He's a great pro there, but he also played in the PGA. There's a picture of him and Tiger Woods. They played together. He's no longer on the tour. That's why he's a pro at this place. And he's the calmest guy I've ever seen. And <laughs> when I hit a bad shot, and you've heard stories. Oh, yeah. Broken clubs, thrown clubs. Hold on. Years did ago, I, you have Did not... I not write about this in you one did. of my books? In Lessons in Leadership, I think. Mm-hmm. I wrote about my impulse control was not what it needed to be, but it's much different. It is. I've evolved. Mm-hmm. I was playing like for 14 cents with these guys, my friends. Brian never loses it. And I kept asking him one time, you know, why? How do you? He goes, Steve, if I lose it, tell me how I'm supposed to put myself in a better position when I have another shot to make in about a minute. How have I just helped myself? I go, yeah, but how do you process all that? Just practice. Yeah. So you have to practice impulse control. And I usually do. And that's the thing. Usually I do. Usually I am just flat. I'm even. But every once in a while, everybody has the right to lose it once in a while. And so real quick, before I let you go, we've got a minute left. Garden State Parkway. Mm -hmm. You and I were on it last night. I was going to lead a seminar. You were trying to get home. You had to meet your son somewhere. You were late. You had to call your husband. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Mm -hmm. Impulse control. On the Garden State Parkway, Back to back, bumper to bumper, shoulder to shoulder. I have learned to manage my impulse control because I have actually had visualized. I have sat in my car and visualized just putting my car in a forward reverse, forward reverse, just slamming into cars just because I was that 
enraged. Brian, New Jersey I know. State Police, that is Mary Gamba. That is, yes. Yep, that movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas where like he takes a baseball bat out. Can, can that, we not go there? Yeah, I've had that feeling. But now what I've done is I use it to listen to the radio, make some phone calls. So I really listen have Listen to great... me complaining I'm being in traffic. Yeah, exactly. As I text you to say, get in the car now. There's a 35-minute backup to go 10 miles. But that's that's impulse control. It took me a long time and to... And the whole point of this, if you're wondering why we're talking about all this, is impulse control, according to Doris Kearns Goodwin, is a part of leadership. Really, got 20 seconds left. Yeah. What are the other traits? Oh, there's only one more. Relaxation. Making time to relax, to get away on the golf course, wherever it may be. <sighs> this is relaxing, no? This is very relaxing. I could do this all day, every day. It, I can it, quit my day job. This is part of our job, Mary. What are you talking about? Oh, it is. But I got to tell you something. Before we get out of here, Mary sent an email with like eight pages of things to talk about. And we had a meeting to plan for all this. <laughs> we hit one topic. That's okay. That's okay. Spontaneous. That should be another leadership trait. Yes. Mm -hmm. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur. This has been Lessons in Leadership, part of the Leadership Hour. Stay tuned for State of Affairs coming to you from the Agnes Farris NJTV studio. I'm honored and proud to host that show, talking to leaders of all stripes, talking about the problems we face every day. We will catch you next time, next Sunday, 2 p.m. a.m. 974, The Leadership Hour. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Nancy Blotner. At Caldwell University, we believe that all citizens should be informed about the important issues that affect their daily lives. That's why we're proud to support programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Hackensack Meridian Health, PSCNG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Caldwell University, the law firm of Gibbons PC, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey, Englewood Health, and by Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media and by New Jersey Globe. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. It's my pleasure to introduce two very distinguished business leaders in the state. Michelle Sikirka, President and CEO, New Jersey Business and Industry Association, also co-chair of an organization called Opportunity New Jersey, and also Ralph Albert Thomas, CEO and Executive Director of New Jersey Society of CPAs and the Treasurer of Opportunity New Jersey. Good to see both of you. Thank you. Thank you. We've had discussions before about the business community in the state, but let me ask you, um, Ralph, this organization, Opportunity New Jersey, is what and why? Well, uh, Steve, it's a, a nonpartisan group, and really the intent of it is for the group to bring to the attention, uh, be the voice, if you will of the business community and individuals uh, here in New Jersey uh, and in terms of, you know, the public policy that's being vetted and, and other things that are going on, um, you know, down in Trenton with the administration and the legislature. But Michelle, respectfully, you've, you've been with us many times. We also have had the State Chamber of Commerce on with us, others. Is, how is this organization different than the Business and Industry Association or the Chamber or any other business group? 
So this is a larger coalition of like-minded associations coming together. So we have 16 business associations working together to establish that one voice. So it's all about leveraging, for example, the research we talk about all the time at BIA. Sure. Now we can leverage it through Opportunity New Jersey with these 16 partners. So coalition building in the business community is what this is all about. What's the main message? See, we actually, after this segment, sure. we're going to have a conversation with the head of the EDA, Economic Development Authority, also the head of Choose New Jersey as well. I'm sure they're going to have a certain perspective on Governor Murphy's economic agenda. Is there a perspective on the part of Opportunity NJ, or is it too soon? Well, no. Well, the message for Opportunity New Jersey is make New Jersey affordable and do it now. Um, what it's we not, you say? So everything, everything in our plan, our agenda for Opportunity New Jersey is all about driving affordability and regional competitiveness, business competitiveness within the Northeast, which we are not. We are dead last, dead last in, in the Northeast. What? In everything, in, in taxes, cost of doing business. I mean, you think about what business owners have every day have to deal yeah. with, right? And the costs that we have to run a business and regulations and mandates. But if the governor and his team argue that more jobs are coming into New Jersey, how does that square with what Michelle just said? Well, you know, you may be getting more jobs in, but uh, back to Michelle's point, the, the objective is to make us more competitive. When you look at the data that's out there, New Jersey is either next to last or dead last in a, in a number of categories. So it's really to get us to be competitive so that we can uh, be on the same, you know, uh, playing ground as New York, Pennsylvania, and other states in the region. Devil's advocate. Okay. People often say, those who are bullish, if you will, on business in New Jersey, look at our location. Look at where we are in terms of the, the, the the airports, look at where we are in terms of our workforce, how talented they are. Look at where we are in terms of Philadelphia and New York. By the nature of those and other things, we're very competitive, you say? First of all, we are bullish on New Jersey. We're the biggest cheerleaders you could possibly have in the state of New Jersey, right? However, and, and every time we speak, the first thing we do is we start with the assets of the state. Everything you right. said is a tremendous asset in the state of New Jersey. We don't take that away. However, the harsh reality around all those assets is we're the most expensive state in the nation. We need property tax reform. We need pension reform. Right. And this is a well, pro- back up. I'm sorry, Michelle. <laughs> property tax reform, isn't that a question of what every property owner pays for in his or her home. And you're talking about public employee pension reform. What does that have to do with the business community? Because the business community pays those costs. We pay 40% yeah. of the property taxes across the state you mean of New corporate Jersey. corporate taxes? Absolutely. No, I'm talking about property tax because businesses own, businesses own oh. land in the state it's of New Jersey. So we often talk about property as if it's, as if it's only residential That's property. Right. Yeah, but, it, but it is the business community that uh, also contributes to that. And that, yeah, well, that's where we're not competitive with our, you know, New York and other, other jurisdictions. And Governor, Governor Murphy, and I promise we will have him soon on State <laughs> Affairs, he has said we need to increase taxes on the wealthiest people in the state in order to achieve what he calls tax fairness. Well, I'll well, get you. Okay. We do not have... <laughs> A revenue problem in the state of New Jersey. We have a spending problem in the state of New Jersey. The state's debt has increased 382% over the last 10 years. Okay, that is Democratic and Republican administrations. It was Correct. a Christie administration before the Murphy administration. And was it going up during that time as well? Yes, and before that. This is decades. This is not, this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an economic issue. Jump back in, Ralph. Yeah, uh, 
You know, uh, we reach out to our members, and you know, part of the discussions that they have with their clients, both uh, individual these and business. These are CPA firms. These are CPA firms, and part of the discussion is, should I stay in New Jersey? And our members, in a recent poll that we took with them, 75% of them suggested to their clients, their businesses, that they ought to consider leaving New Jersey. Come on, three no. quarters of them three are saying quarters. leave the state. Leave the state. We got the Jersey Shore. We've got no, no, resort we've, activities. We've got, we've got all got those parks. Great, we've got all these great things. We've got these great assets, but it is the cost to be able to have those assets, and that is what I think drives that message that comes from my members. So, if the governor argues, and he in fact gets an increase in the millionaires' tax, how would this impact the agenda of your organization? Taxes matter. Taxes absolutely matter. When you sit and you line up. The factors that you're going to consider when you're going to live somewhere and work somewhere and grow somewhere and stay somewhere, taxes matter. We can't say that they don't. So it's great that we have these tremendous assets. And again, we tout those assets every day. You know what? We're willing to pay a premium for all the good assets in the state of New Jersey. Not to mention we have pretty good schools. Go ahead. Yeah. Awesome schools. Ranked number one in the nation, right? By but, Education Week. Go ahead. But to that point, exactly, right? We're willing to pay a premium. We're now beyond super premium. And let me just say that number one, K-12. Outstanding, excellent, but the cost to deliver that, over $21,000 on average per pupil per year times 13 years. Massachusetts, number two, is doing it at half the cost. But what would the governor do if the governor wanted to be responsive to the argument that you and your colleagues are making an opportunity in New Jersey? What would he do? It's not going to lower the income tax. He can't lower property taxes by himself. But I think it goes back to a comment that Michelle says. It's a suspend issue. You know, how do we do things more efficiently here in the state? We have duplication of effort in, in a number of areas. Talking about merging school districts and, and communities, shared services. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at in the uh, Path to Progress report, that was one of the suggestions, that we needed to think about going to a regional school system. That Senator Sweeney, Senator President Sweeney, check right. out our website. Uh, it'll be up right now. Uh, Senator Sweeney yeah. talked about that Path I sat to on Progress. That. I sat on that committee and uh, on that work group, and, and, and that was a big issue there. How do we do things more efficient? We took a look at the cost to deliver the, the mm. services and goods and, and for the organization. And that was the big issue. How do we, how do, we do these things more efficiently? Well, um, to Ralph and to Michelle, I want to thank you for sharing this perspective of Opportunity New Jersey. And again, right after this, uh, we're going to have a different conversation about some of the same issues with people who see it a little differently. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back right after this. To watch more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, Find us online and follow us on social media. We welcome Greg Lalavi, business manager for International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Good to see you, Greg. Good to see you. Thanks. A whole bunch of things to talk about, infrastructure issues, the gateway tunnel, um, the future of the work that you and your colleagues do and how technology is affecting it. But let's get this out of the way. Last time you were with us, um, I'm calling this Greg Lalavi 2.0. <laughs> um, you look fitter. Thank you. Get it out of the way. Tell folks. Uh, lost 117 pounds so far. Huh. Uh, I, by the way, I heard a gasp. <laughs> it's wow. Uh, we'll talk offline about your secret, or we'll put it on our website. But um, well done. Thank you. And uh, keep keep working out and taking care of yourself. In that spirit, the condition of the union movement in this country. Mm -hmm. Lots going on. A lot of questions about it. Federal administration doing what they're doing or not. But what you have said to me, and I should make it clear, I've done a significant amount of leadership development for Local 825, and so leadership is what we talk about. 
you're big on innovation technology and all of a sudden there's this educational component to the future of people who are engineers. What does that mean? Uh, for the future of people who are going to be operating engineers. Define the difference. Well, for, for those of us who do the hands-on operating of heavy construction equipment or repair of heavy construction equipment, there is a technology move going on where GPS is moving into machinery. Uh, there's artificial intelligence. There's autonomous control. And we're taking a good, hard look at how to educate our members in two veins. One, we want to take our existing membership and give them the platform to transition uh, into the technology. And then we want to be able to capture those young people as they're moving through STEM and meme programs uh, through their high schools or Votech high schools and bring them into the world of operating engineers. But the bottom line, Greg, is that, and we've talked about this a lot, and it's important people understand this, that the role of operating engineers has changed dramatically, largely because of technology and innovation. Always. And over the last 100 years, uh, the operating engineers have managed the engines uh, running the equipment, moving from steam to diesel engines. They've uh, managed the change from cable control to hydraulic control. And we're going to manage this change, too, and become masters of our craft and, and understand the technology. One more question before we get to Gateway. Some of the teaching methods use a lot of video and, and, and high-tech stuff. I don't have any other word to describe it. Describe it. Well, there, there are apps that are developed uh, that'll simulate heavy equipment operation. There are simulators. We, we own several that uh, simulate dirt-moving equipment, cranes, drills, concrete pumps. Uh, with the magic of the Internet and Bluetooth technology, uh, we can simulate uh, two cranes picking a large object. And you could be on a simulator uh, in California, and I could be at the one at our training center, yet we're working in tandem. Uh, so th it offers great training opportunities for our people. You know, it's interesting on this, um, even though I've, I'm a student of leadership, I've talked about that a lot here, someone heck of a lot smarter than me once said, innovate or die, you say? Absolutely. Agree with it. Uh, because this is going to be the technology. Autonomous equipment um, means there's no physical operator in the seat, but there's still the computer programming and everything that has to go on in the background. And so there will still be work associated with it. So again, people should never confuse the fact that there's artificial intelligence, more technology and innovation than ever before, but the human component will, whether it's the operating engineers or any industry, I'm not here to be on a soapbox, but you will always need, even immediate, you will always need the human component. Gateway, where are we with the tunnel? Is it happening? And President Trump, in or not in with the feds? Uh, well, a new application went in in August. Um, and some of the parameters changed. Who's on the application? Is it New York, New Jersey? Uh, Port Authority, Amtrak. Uh, but what's happened is uh, Gateway Development Corporation went out and priced some things. Uh, Governor Murphy and Governor Cuomo uh, got out front and uh, got some of the front-end things done, opened the door to possible design-build, uh, made sure that mitigation plans were in place. What does that mean, mitigation plans? Well, for environmental mitigation. Got it. Um, by having all these things in place, they were able to define upfront costs better. So the application that went in actually shows the cost of the tunnel to be $1.4 billion less than the previous application. Mm -hmm. uh, so it looks like a, a better application. You know, I was watching NJTV News did a great story recently. Check it out. Um, Governor Christie started the new uh, Christie Institute, if you will, at Seton Hall Law School, and he had Governor Cuomo on. And one of the things they talked about was the Gateway Tunnel, and they talked about a meeting they had with the president in which the president said directly to them, according to them, I'm in, the feds will fund it. A, 
what happens if the feds do not fund the gateway tunnel? And B, does that mean it's dead? Well, right now, the, the funding, the application that went in, the grant that they're seeking is about half the cost of the tunnel. So at least we're getting to a point where we're going to know whatever the metrics might be that the federal government or the administration would expect. Um, in this application, Amtrak has moved their buy-in up $600 million. They're putting more in is what you're yes. saying. Yes. So there's more of a, more of a stakeholder uh, piece of it. The Port Authority has made more of a commitment to it. The two governors uh, and the state legislatures in each state uh, passed legislation and created the Gateway Development Commission, which can receive federal funds, but also uh, track costs and, and manage the project. Greg, got about a minute left. Let's do this. By the way, we're talking, if you're listening on the audio side, Greg Olivey from um, International Union Operating Engineers Local 825. He's a business manager there. Real quick, if Gateway doesn't happen, 20 seconds, what happens to us? Uh, the economy in this area is completely under distress. Uh, it's you know, 20 to 30 percent of the GDP of the nation flows on the Northeast Corridor. 13 percent of Manhattan's workforce goes through those tunnels daily. Um, what that would cascade to in property values in, in northern New Jersey along the rail lines is horrific. The New York Times just did a great story about uh, one of the rail lines that goes from Middletown, New Jersey, into the city um, and just what Late Trains is doing. So shutting down the tunnels would, would kill the economy around here. Greg Lally, 30 seconds on wind power. Uh, wind power, we're hoping to see in the next uh, 25 to 30 months. Um, there's a lease that's been approved that would put 96 wind turbines off the coast of New Jersey. Uh, so we're looking forward to what that would mean in terms of onshore construction, uh, doing the manufacturing, and, and then possibly going out there in the ocean and putting those in there. So a, a great job opportunity across the economy. Greg Lalavi, 2.0, um, <laughs> business manager, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Greg, thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Stay with yeah. us. We'll be right back right after this. To watch more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. We're now joined by Tim Sullivan, CEO, New Jersey Economic Development Authority, and Jose Lozano, President and CEO of Choose New Jersey. Gentlemen, good to see you. Great seeing you. Thanks so much for having us. Now, as we do this program, it's the beginning of October. Just back from India. In India. Describe the trip. Uh, six days, seven cities, over 50 meetings, and over 1,000 engagements with companies. And the governor was right there? Governor was there with a, a, a full supportive delegation. Yeah. Describe the goal of something like this. Well, the goals, were, I think, were, were several. It was primarily an economic development mission. Um, you know, New Jersey is one of the biggest recipients of foreign direct investment from Indian companies already, and we want to grow that uh, as much as we can. New Jersey and India have longstanding cultural ties and, and uh, you know, people-to-people uh, -people relationships that is an enormous asset in trying to build a, a relationship with an economy that's as big and as, as growing as fast as India. So uh, this, was a, this was about both short-term, uh, getting some jobs uh, announced right here in New Jersey, but also building a long-term relationship with, with, with India. Let's talk about some of these jobs. Yeah. How many are we talking about? Over 1,200 jobs. Okay. Yep. And we, Jose, we've known each other a long time. <laughs> Potential jobs, real jobs, what are no, you talking about? The, these are real jobs that CEOs looked at the governor and looked at us and said, we are going to commit to expanding our companies and our footprint in New Jersey. It's a great place that we're doing business there. We're really successful, and we're ready to expand. And so they made the commitments, and within three companies alone, we, we over 1,200 jobs. Are there certain that's types? Just, okay, that's just the immediate jobs. I think Those long term, over the next year, I think... Yeah. Uh, I think the governor and our team collectively believe, you know, we'll probably double or triple that yep, number. Are there certain types of companies? 
Yeah, mostly in the IT and the professional services section of the house. Yeah. What makes it interesting, we've had so many conversations with those who have argued, New Jersey's not attractive. It's the business, business climate. The, the economics don't work. The taxes are too high. Regulation. And you come back and you tell me about these jobs. By the way, before you even answer, let's just say that Choose New Jersey and the EDA working with us on an innovation series and being very supportive of that. So go ahead. Make the case, because some others see it differently. This is a really, really easy narrative. The, the, it's a great place to not only raise a family, it's a great place for you to establish a business. You have easy access to the, it's a, New Jersey is a global gateway into all of North America. And these companies who provide professional services and IT support see, see the potential of not only being in New Jersey, but having great access to all their clients. And they're not asking about taxes. They're not asking about regulation. Come on. No. No, no. The, the, the main focus of our conversation was really about talent. Can yeah. they, can, what do you mean? Can they get the workforce that they yeah. need to fill the jobs that they want to that they want to uh, hire for here? How in do New we rate that way, Tim? Toward the very top of the pack, if not number one. Having the number one public school system in America matters a lot. Uh, having a great uh, network of higher education uh, institutions matters a lot. Having things like the number one concentration of uh, scientists and engineers in our economy anywhere in the world per square mile is yeah. an enormously important selling point when you're talking about companies that are in the innovation and, and sort of talent-driven spaces. You know, we had uh, Regina Gia uh, check our, our, mm. our website. She was on recently, and here's what she said, okay? Um, well, certainly we're talking about, I asked her about what makes the, uh, the state attractive or not. She said, well, certainly the tax burden. We're at the bottom. You're just talking about the top. By the way, it was I think Education Week that selected our public schools as the best in the yeah, number one. Number one. But here's what, what Regina Gia said: former chief of staff, in fact, to Governor Chris Christie, uh, heads the organization called Help Me in the Garden State Initiative. We're at the bottom, close to the bottom on every list: cost of running a business, cost of living, property taxes, you name it. So the cost of operating here is falling behind other states. Look, it's a, yes, it is expensive to do business here. Yes, it's expensive. The taxes are expensive. But you get what you pay for. Being the number one school districts in the world, I mean, in the country, doesn't come cheap. There's a cost associated. We have roads and infrastructure that we're investing in. We, have, we move people and products better than anyone else in the country. And with all of that comes with a cost. Yeah. And, and I think the argument is that, you know, Governor Murphy inherited a, a stagnant economy. I think we'd agree with that. Uh, We've got an economic development plan that was released a little more than a year ago that's got a robust series of a set of initiatives to grow the economy, particularly the innovation-centric parts of the economy, because we're not seeing uh, fast enough job growth and fast enough wage growth that we'd like to see to really support. You're not satisfied with it. Absolutely not. No. We've got a lot of work to do. We're, yep. we're, we're pleased that unemployment's at a record low. We're pleased that more people are working in New Jersey today than at any point since they've started keeping statistics. That being said, we've got a lot of work to do. So let's do this. It's interesting. The other part of this, I'm, I'm fascinated. You talk about these jobs. 1,200 confident? Yeah, about 12. Oh, yeah, very okay. confident. Yeah. On, the low, on the lower side. That's okay. on the low side. What role did tax incentives or credits play in that, Mr. Sullivan? Zero. <laughs> Unequivocally, zero. We, hold on. Three companies made commitments to, to add 100, uh, 1,250 jobs. No tax incentives. Does it not even come up? In those conversations, it no. didn't. I would say I, They don't know. ask, what's the deal? How do you, in, in, you know, those, they want they sweeten this deal for no. us? No. So we were, you know, we had, as Jose said, we probably, between one-on-one -on -one meetings and group settings, we probably were with several hundred, if not a thousand companies. The number of times with me that the um, tax incentive conversation came up, you know, a handful, less than a handful, something like that. You know, when you're, the further away you get from... America and from New Jersey, the more the fundamentals of New Jersey stand out so brightly. To be in the heart of the Northeast Corridor, that's 20% of the U.S. GDP. We sit literally geographically in the middle right. of it, connected by, you know, railroad and other infrastructure to that, to, that, to that part of the economy. The talent pool that we have, those are the fundamentals that people really care about first and foremost. Bring it closer to home. Someone watching says, oh, great, that's India. 
Indian companies in India coming here, new jobs. What does it mean? What could it mean? Should it mean for the citizens of this state? Number one, these are jobs that are going to be here in New Jersey, right? They're going to be hiring local folks, local talents, and growing the state's economy right here, right at home. And New Jersey's home to several hundred international companies that make, right. US, that make New Jersey their U.S. or their North American headquarters. They employ a ton of people in New Jersey. This is a, more international investment into New Jersey is a good thing for New Jersey. When you're there, it's interesting, you're saying when you move away, they don't ask about some of the closer-to-home issues. Right, right. But they do have concerns, right? Mm -hmm. Is workforce at the top? For international companies, yeah. Talent and workforce is always yep. the number one topic of discussion. Yep. Who do we have? What do we have access to? Okay, the other part I'm curious about. Uh, by the way, Choose, who financed this? Uh, Choose New Jersey uh, is a not-for-profit organization yes. that raised funds, uh, and we, we supported the mission. But individuals who participated and attended with us on the delegation paid their own way as well. That being said, what role directly did Governor Murphy, and by the way, those of you wondering, we are definitely going to have Governor Murphy on. He will speak for himself, not just about his uh, economic plan and the innovation initiative, which we're very much committed to, but a whole range of other issues. Talk about the governor's role in this. Governor likes to refer to himself as uh, the head of sales for the state. and that was on, <laughs> The head of sales. Head of sales. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was on full display uh, all throughout India. He was, uh, you know, back-to-back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back -to -back meetings, either in, you know, uh, making the pitch in group settings or in one-on-one -on -one sessions with CEOs. Uh, he was... Uh, I've never seen anything quite like it to have a chief executive making the case that strongly and that with that much energy, uh, meeting after meeting after meeting. And it was really important. You know, these are global decision makers and global business leaders who employ, in some cases, several hundred thousand people. Could go anywhere, Tim. Could go, Could anywhere. go anywhere. And they wanted to look, the, you know, the chief executive. They wanted to look the governor in the eye, the person who's responsible for the state's future, and say, "What's going on in New Jersey? Tell us what's going on there before we make this big decision." Was the first lady involved as well? Absolutely, and she she too had her own schedule and, and participated with her own engagements, uh, mostly with universities and colleges, but had an opportunity. Need to talk about engagement, inclusiveness. I'm sorry for interrupting, Jose. Uh, sure. Time we have left. Some of the academic institutions that we work with very closely, some of them said that they were on this trip. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. We had Rutgers, Princeton, Jersey City University, Rowan, and NJIT. So Why? Five. What, why do, what do they have to do with it? The, the, the transatlantic relationships, not only with businesses and companies and other peer universities, sharing research, sharing resources. NJIT is going to be great. NJIT is going to be hosting. New Jersey Institute of Technology yep, around the New corner. New Jersey Institute ahead. of Technology right here in Newark is going to be hosting a, about a dozen or so startup mm -hmm. companies. Yeah. They are. Yeah. And Steve, Follow this, up on the higher ed. End. Yeah, the secret sauce of the innovation economy is partnerships between higher education and the real economy. Having representatives of five of our of our great institutions with us really made that um, very tangible when we were on this trip. We would say, these are the folks we're working with and these are the relationships we can introduce you to uh, if you're going to come to New Jersey and, and expand or build your business. It made, a big, it made a big difference. Having Princeton, the number one ranked university in America, in New Jersey, what an amazing calling card to go with the number one uh, uh, school system in America. Jose. And Tim, I want to thank you for uh, joining us, providing uh, some perspective. People may have read about this trip to India, but getting a better sense. By the way, I'm sure there's a lot of pre-planning going on. Oh, before. yeah, it was about a, about a year in the works. Have you uh, recovered uh, yet? Uh, yeah. Seriously. I'm just, I'm just starting to get some good sleep right now. <laughs> okay. Gentlemen, thank you. For State of Affairs, I'm Steve Adubato. See you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Hackensack Meridian Health. PSCNG, Caldwell University, the law firm of Gibbons PC, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey, Englewood Health, and by Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media.
and by New Jersey Globe. It feels like I've opened my eyes again And the colors are golden and bright again There's a song in my heart I feel like I belong It's a better place since you came along It's a better place since you came along